Starting from the top. What can wash away? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's the sound. And the Holy Spirit. 
Macy, do you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God? Yeah. And that he loves you super much? Yes. Awesome. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I gotta keep it playing. <laughs>
Welcome to church. Hey, we're here. All right. All right. Uh, we are starting the, the meeting is being live streamed. Very important. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll get here. We'll get there. You know what we're going to do? We're going to start with just a word of prayer real fast. All right. Thank you, God, that we can be here, that we can praise you, that we can get together and uh, be here for church. Amen. There we go. All right. We're going to start with a quick uh, call to worship. So um, I'm going to say the bold stuff. And you guys say the other stuff. We'll see how it goes. All right. All right. Scripture is full of... Wait a second. I should have practiced this, like really... But uh, we'll, we'll get through this. All right. Call to worship. Where are you? Whom shall I send? Who sinned? If God is for us, who could be against us? Let us ask and seek after our merciful God. All right, we have a first song. Um, nothing but the blood of Jesus. If anybody wants to stand up, you can. Here we go. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my part in this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea. Blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin alone. Jesus, this is all. 
of righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll overcome, and nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, this I sing. Blood of Jesus, all my praise for this I bring, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. since we sang this one here uh, it's probably maybe maybe been a year so uh, hopefully you remember it and if not we have the words it's a good one how can a broken people be right with you God how can my prideful heart draw near to you near to you your love Christ Jesus is enough I hide my soul within the triumph of his blood. Jesus, be my perfection, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. Be my perfection, not by works, not by works, but by your grace. Be my perfection, I know your mercy covers me. Sacrifices and perfection for me. What does it take to satisfy your wrath, O oh God? What opens up your arms to welcome me, welcome me? Your love, Christ Jesus, is enough. My soul within the triumph of his blood. Jesus, be my perfection, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. Be my perfection, not by works, not by works, but by your grace. Be my perfection, I know your mercy covers me. Your sacrifice. 
sacrifices of perfection for me. In today's, in today's text, the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? They, oh. In today's text, there we go. In today's text, the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? They want to know who around them could be blamed for suffering. The disciples want to identify who around them had done wrong. In the prayer of confession, we stop pointing fingers at others. In confession, we turn our attention toward ourselves and invite God into that honest and vulnerable place. So do this countercultural thing with me today. Let us pray together using the prayer of confession printed in your bulletin or on the screen behind us. We'll say the bold text together. Who here has sinned. Oh, next slide. We put our heads in the sand. We ignored people in need. We false assumptions and failed to be kind. We are in need of forgiveness. Good news. Our God is a merciful God. God does not punish, hold grudges, or keep score. When you suffer, God weeps. When you sin, God forgives. When you lose your way, God comes running. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Have you sinned? I have sinned. I put my head in the sand. I ignore people in need. I make false assumptions and fail to be kind. I, too, am in need of forgiveness. Good news. Our God is a merciful God. God does not punish old grudges 
or keep score. When you suffer, God weeps. When you sin, God forgives. When you lose your way, God comes running. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Amen. All right, but one more song for you guys. Here we go. Jesus the King. Jesus the King. Jesus the King. 
seated. Have any of you ever prayed for something for years and years and years and years and never seen anything happen? Yeah, a few of you. So Sharon and I were gone last week down to Columbus, Ohio. You can say boo if you want. Uh, she's from Columbus. Jesus said, love your enemies. I practice it every day. But, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I see some people laughing and some shaking their heads. <laughs> so sorry about that. But uh, we went down to Columbus. Uh, that's another long story. But we have prayed for our family members for years and years and years. And there's one particular family member who, who we've never had a substantive conversation with. Uh, just really been, there, there's been so many issues I don't want to go into. Uh, and, and it's just kind of been awkward and heartbreaking. And... Um, so we ended up staying at their house and we ended up having the most profound conversations and and uh god has worked in in this person's life and and be, uh, the faith that was there and the sharing that was there it was like going to church and all the time i'm just singing hallelujahs because uh somebody who had been uh so so broken and then so shut down and you know defensive and all this kind of stuff all of a sudden there's this wonderful openness and uh deep sharing and deep fellowship um i was just rejoicing so even though i missed you all in church i had my church experience uh, where two or three are gathering it was just really beautiful so does anybody have a uh, god sighting or an answer to prayer or something you want to testify to jesse Um, thank you for anybody who's been praying for me about a job. I, I picked up a job in the same company that uh, actually didn't hire me a couple weeks ago. So, uh, and they paired me up with another uh, born again Christian. So I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, it was very uh, good. And as far as Columbus goes, I think, you know, my mind goes to something positive. And Alistair Begg is actually preaching in uh, out of Columbus. So that's, that's a positive <laughs> thing. That... Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Great, great to hear the answer to prayer about the job. Hi. Um, today is what I always call my spiritual birthday. 45 years ago today, um, I turned my life over to Jesus. I had had encounters with the Lord over the years, but it never really stuck. So that day, it, my husband and I both turned our life over to the Lord. But strangely, we were not in the same place when we did it. God works in different ways. So I didn't know if it would stick that time either. I didn't have a great deal of faith about it. But one thing and another, you know, here I am 45 years later, and I thought, oh, okay, today is my spiritual birthday. So I'm thankful for that. And my husband has already finished the journey, and he's where he needs to be. And I'm looking forward to that too. But in the meantime, I'm here. <laughs> All right, let's sing happy birthday to Jenny. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Jenny. Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, somebody here had. Oh, yes. Hi, I'm Seth. Um, not a lot of not a lot of people here know this because our son was being fairly private about it. But my 15 year old had open heart surgery a little over a week ago, about a week and a half ago. And the elders have been praying for him, but we were just respecting his desire to be quiet about that. But a couple of things to share about it. So one, it really went so well. We feel kind of like any time it could have gone better or worse, it went better. That's really how it has felt to us. And um, so I know that God loves us and has taken care of us and has good plans for us, even when that doesn't happen. But we are very grateful that in this case, that that's what happened. Um, and then I wanted to share one other thing, which was just how cared for we have felt as a family through this. Um, you know, we, we have had people making meals for us that we honestly don't even know. Uh, we, uh, we feel pretty new to this community, this church community. So to have people caring for us in this community, uh, I felt sort of like, man, like we haven't even like volunteer we didn't volunteer for the warming shelter and i haven't brought food like a single time when we've had the meal in the south hall you know and <laughs> and my wife molly she said you know isn't that just a picture of god's grace you know that it's kind of one thing to say as a statement of faith that god's grace for us is not earned but it's another thing to experience in your life care that you really feel is unearned um, and so that, that's what God's grace is for us, right? Not uh, even when we don't deserve it, but especially when we don't deserve it. So thanks. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's so cool. So cool. Anybody else? Hey, so... February, end of January. End of January, we took middle schoolers and high schoolers to winter camp. And we went to the camp that I worked at as a college student that I loved and had a fabulous experience with. And they're a camp, so they're more conservative than we are. And um, as we stepped into that experience, I had a lot of conversations and with them of like, hey, are we gonna, we're gonna be good on all of them? We're gonna be good on all, okay, great. And we got over there and the speaker was exactly the guy that I didn't think that I wanted. <laughs> and um, he said, like, he greeted us with, you know, I'm really excited to be here and I'm a really humble guy, which just shoots up all my red flags. And, um, but you know, so like, if you feel like the Holy Spirit has something that he wants you to say or, you know, whatever, like, feel free to come to me. And so I did four different times over the course of the weekend. And, um, and they were great conversations. And every single time he heard me with every bit of humbleness that he had claimed to have. Um, and none of them were like, oh my gosh, that was just so inappropriate, that thing you said. It was just like, hmm, I heard your heart, but I'm not sure the kids did because of the words you used. And Bo was like, that was a really cool story. Will you share that? And I was like, well, yeah. But, but he was like, but what'd you learn? And I was like, that I could step, right? So I have two, I have two learns from it. I have, I have a cool and a learn. The cool was that I of, of the kids that we took, three of them were senior girls. And I would say that all of the girls that went with me are really 
left-wing and liberal feminist kind of girls, which is great, and that our speaker was a pastor's kid, ex-black ops military guy at a Baptist camp. They weren't on the same page. Um, but it was really awesome because the one that is the least churched of those girls, twice when I went to have those conversations, followed me and just sat and watched and listened and got to hear him. You know, this person that you think is like way over there, like that's the Christian you don't want to be or something, right? Got to like hear him just hear everything that I said, internalize it, take it, follow up on it. Like, I felt like it was such a good experience from that perspective. Um, and then when, when I've been telling people about camp, I've said, he's exactly the speaker that I didn't want and probably exactly the one that we needed. And so I think that's my takeaway, is that so often we know what we need. I know what I need, God, this is what I need and you should give me this. And so often what we need is not the thing that we think we need. So from, from all the perspectives that you can put that into, you let you do that and I'll be quiet. Amen, amen. So it was a little while ago, but um, summertime last year, me and my daughter went to Faster Horses. It was like a bucket list thing. And we were going through a pretty rough time back at home, family stuff that was not good was going on. And so me and my daughter were trying to just still have a good time and have that mother-daughter experience together, even though there was a lot weighing on our mind. And it just really stood out to me because we went to see Chris Jansen. He was one of the singers there at Faster Horses. And right when we really needed it, Chris Jansen starts his whole concert with saying this. He said, God is speaking to me. And God says that there's somebody out here in the audience that needs to be reminded that God is with you. And whatever you're going through, you're going to be okay. And you're going to get through the hard times that you're going through. And like, I just stood there in pause, like I'm at a country concert and I like really needed that. And Chris Jansen don't know me from anybody, you know, <laughs> I'm just an audience member. And God spoke to him to get that message across that me and my daughter really needed. And obviously everything that was going on did get resolved for the good. So. I just like that really was a testament to me that I needed that and my daughter needed that and God spoke to Chris Jansen to speak to the whole audience to reach us like that's just amazing. Amen. Ah. Way in the back. Uh, hello, my name is Jeremy. How are you guys doing today? Um, God gave me the gift of gab, so I'm here to gab. Uh, I've been going to church since I was in preschool. Started off at uh, Prince of Glory in Royal Oak. 
and then it made its way to Faith Lutheran in uh, Troy, Michigan. And then I went to Kensington and Woodside, and I've been all around the world, I guess, in some church aspect. Um, but I never really ever felt at home, ever, at any of these places. Um, this place speaks to me more than I've ever felt a place speak to me. I've only been here like three or four times, but I think I found a home. And um, a lot of times God tells me that he's always with me and he's in my heart. And there were times where I was like, you know, I don't even need church. I got God in my heart. But he's telling me today that I need to be part of a church and I need to be part of something bigger than me. And I'm really just thankful to be here today. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Anything else? All right. Well, God's at work. Amen. Amen. And uh, so let's take it from there. Thanks, Dan. So good morning, everyone. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Amy. Thank you all for being here on this day before spring, although it doesn't feel quite like that. Um, I just have a few announcements for you today. So please take a moment to let us know that you're here by filling out the uh, digital connection card on our website or the physical green card in your pew. If you are new to Genesis, please text new to Genesis at 94,000. That is new to Genesis 94000. You can place that physical green card in the wooden box at the back of the sanctuary. And this is also where you can place your offering if you have brought that with you. And thank you to all who's continued to give online or through text. Um, we also ask you to join us this Lent season and follow the Genesis Lenten calendar. Use these daily devotional questions and prayers to expand and deepen your spiritual journey. You can subscribe through our e-blast and on the website or follow that link that came through in the text today. There's still obviously an opportunity for you to join a small group as well for the Lent season. Please mark your interest on the green card or on the digital green card or sign up in the back lobby. Um, and we're having a new to Genesis meet and greet today, March 19th from four to six at Roy and Dem Yankees. Food is provided, children are welcome. And this is a chance to learn more about the community. There's still room for you. So please grab Bo during the connection to get more information. We're also eating together next Sunday, April 2nd, and this meal is a bit more special. It will be a meal before Kyle Movius's memorial service, which is Ryan and Bethany Movius's brother. And as a church, we're hosting friends and family of the Movius's. So if your last name begins with A through M, bring a main dish and N through Z, bring a side dish. Seth, this is for you. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I kid, I kid. We will be celebrating baptisms on Easter, April 9th. Please consider if you'd like to be baptized this Easter. It happens right here in the sanctuary behind me. Um, the doors open up and you'll get baptized. Um, and there were some questions about what that looked like. So I believe we have a quick video of someone who got baptized last year. So you can see that here. No swimming knowledge is required. Um, and it happens right here on the doors, these wooden doors open back here and there's this pool. So just to give you an idea, if you're like, what am I getting into? Like, is it a kiddie pool? What's the situation? It's actually very fancy. It's very beautiful and it's a really wonderful moment. It is warm, that's true. Bo warms it up for you. So if you are considering that, again, please grab Bo if you'd like more information um, during connection time.
So at this time, we'll release the middle school students and please stand up, say hello to someone and thank you for coming.
Good morning. There we go. Good morning. Welcome again. My name is Bo. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you this morning. Sharing the stories when we kind of create that moment. It's many of our favorite moments. It's just so real. It's so honest, unfiltered, unedited. We don't have a 10-second delay with beeping or anything like that. It's just the people to be able to share as they want. And so I know it encourages me so much to hear people share, for Jeremy, for you to share, Jenny, you to share you know, your story and reminding us of Foster and just the miraculous that takes place and Jesse and Manya and Dan and, I, and, and Seth. And so thank you for all who stood up, Rose, for sharing that good news to all of us so that we could hear it and potentially be reminded of that same good truth that, okay, maybe we're not alone. God has our back. We don't have to be afraid. Those kinds of beautiful truths that so many of us are potentially um, afraid of. As we begin, so we're, we're uh, teaching through, the, we're following a calendar of teachings that historically the, the portions of the church follow. And so we've been doing it just as a way to kind of enter into this stream of the church community that goes along this. So the the text is a story in John 9, and it's the whole chapter. And it's about a blind man who was healed. It's a long story, and the majority of the story is about an interrogation about his healing, which is so interesting. So he is healed, and that happens really quickly, but the majority of the story is not the healing that takes place. It's everyone wrestling with this reality of who he is and who he was and who Jesus is. And so it's interesting. It's complex. Parts of it are disturbing. The man is never named. The only thing he's ever called is the blind guy. No name to him. And for the most part, kind of unseen. And so today we're going to kind of dig into this text a bit. Uh, We're going to just try to be curious within it and open, potentially be able to hear Here's something. Could be collectively that we could hear from God. We could be encouraged. But also, there could be a um, a learning, a growing edge for all of us when it comes to things we don't talk about or we don't see or we have to learn new. And Mamani was sharing just about wanting to encourage someone whose language wasn't helpful for people. And so they needed to be able to grow. And it takes lots of humility to be able to grow. And so when we talk about things like disability, uh, many of us, because we're so uncomfortable with the ideas of disability for many people, and we think it's uncommon when it's not, we don't have appropriate language, and we don't have language for it. And so a lot of times we use language that actually is offensive, demeaning, devaluing. Not only our language, um, but even even what we would even suggest as a cure is offensive. And so we want to have our hearts open to potentially to learn. Like, oh God, could you help us to see people create in your image and love them better today? Oh, may it be. That would be really good, wouldn't it? This is about being learners and curious. Not about guilt or blame or shame, but being learners who are growing 
and the ability to look like Jesus, to have fruit in our life that flows out of it that's evident. And that fruit was really, really clear. And so that's my hope today. That's our longing today. I'm going to start with a prayer of illumination. And so pray with me. God of good news, there is reading your word, there is hearing your word, and then there is tunneling ourselves into your word, harvesting your word, building a home in your word, laying your word over us like a blanket, wrapping ourselves in your word. Know your word like the back of our hand, singing your word, planting ourselves like a garden in your word. God, we could listen to scripture like we listen to the news, or we could cocoon ourselves in your word and let it change us entirely. So bundle us up, give us the ladder. We want to know you. With open hearts, we pray. Amen. So as I read this text and kind of go through it in John 1, 1 through 41, I want to propose a couple of things because the beginning of this story begins with a question. I'm going to double check this input here because it's kind of... And then I'll move it. This story will begin with a question when they see someone and their question, when they see a blind man, it's right up front. It starts with this, is they ask, who sinned? That's the question. There's a narrative, there's a story, there's a cultural context that goes along with this, but it is a question that's being asked. And so I want us to begin just even in thinking about when we read stories and we're in the scriptures or we look at the Bible or we hear things, what are the questions that we should ask? And what are good questions and what are bad questions? Because <laughs> there can be both. Now, I'm going to throw out early that question of who sinned when they looked at this person who was born blind. That's a bad question. It's a terrible question. And it undermines a whole bunch of ideas that are false, oppressive, harmful, unhelpful, deteriorating to the human soul and to humanity. So what are good questions to ask when we when we read the scriptures. Rob Bell wrote a book. I just think it's interesting. He threw out like, hey, here's some good questions to ask as you're reading the story. Why was this written down? What was going on in the world that this was important to them? Why do they feel the need to put words to this? Again, regardless of what you may believe in, they're asking that question, why is it here? You might believe God breathed it all, and that is awesome, but you still need to ask that question, then why is it here? Why was it put here? For what purpose was it written down for? Why has it had such longevity? A dangerous question, potentially, when reading the Bible is, why did God dot, dot, dot? Why did God make the sky blind? Why did, uh, why did God cause this? It's not a helpful question. It can lead to a number of ideas that are not accurate. It's not the first question that we should ask. It doesn't mean you can't ask that question. But this story is one that resonates with people for a long time. And so we ask the story of this. What's true for them? What's true for us? Why is this here? 
Now, we do long to know about God. And God has revealed things about himself and about us in the story. And so maybe you open that today. So this is John 9, verses 1 to 41. And as you're going along, maybe you even, maybe you even sit there and begin to ask the questions. What are you curious about? What are the questions that you would ask? And I invite you to ask them. But here's John 9, 1 through 41, and it begins this way. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Many say that when they write that, that he was blind from birth, that it just wasn't that he was blind, but that he was born with no eyes. We'll get a few indicators with that. But he was born without eyes to be able to see. Rabbi, that means teacher, his disciple asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or the sins of his parents? So who sinned in here? So now you hear that question. What are they supposing? If there's a limitation, if there's a defection, if there is blindness or something, this must have been caused by sin. Because in some way, they're asking the question, why is this person blind? Was it God? We can't say it's God because God is good. So God didn't do this. So it must be this person's fault. Or maybe it's even his mother's fault because potentially maybe she went into a pagan shrine when she was pregnant and she was worshiping a false god. And within utero, something goes wrong in there and he's born blind. Now, they're asking the question, and it's a question that is all around them, even if there was nothing to support it, but yet the religious identity of the people had grabbed a hold of these ideas that this was a mark of this guy's failure, of his sin. That he was displeasing with God, and this was God's judgment, righteous judgment upon him. He was guilty, God was just, and this is what we know about him. And so the disciples are not asking any kind of different question than any other student of any other rabbi who'd be walking by this guy at that time. And you can imagine, because they're near the temple, that's where they are in Jerusalem, lots of rabbis, lots of people, this guy is a teaching lesson. He is an object lesson. Oh, you see this guy blind over here get yourself in order make sure you're okay we don't want to be like him a sinner this is god's judgment upon him again these ideas were painted for some who were looking for background for their ideas they were looking for proof for their ideas and the ones that they found are in ezekiel it doesn't reference blindness, but it references death. It says, hey, there is, uh, when there's sin, there's death. And it's in Ezekiel 18, 20. And there was, a, there was a psalm that was used as well. Now, none of these are clear. None of these are like, in a way that would make any of us be like, oh, yeah, that, that's true, that's accurate, that's good, that proves it. They were weird. So Ezekiel 18, 20 the one who sins is the one who will die. So clearly he sinned because he's experienced some form of death. And then in, his, in Psalm 89, 32, in the Psalm, it talks about God punishing sin with the rod. And so these ideas, these, these words in these, in these places were taken to say, oh, here's the proof of what this person is experiencing. And so they asked Jesus, 
Well, help us clarify it. Is it the mother or the father or him? Who's at, who's to blame for this? And Jesus doesn't play any part of it. And so here's verse three. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happens so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground. He made mud with saliva, or clay. And he spread the mud over the man's eyes, and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing so that's the encounter with jesus he washes he goes now again there's a teaching that the most already said he didn't have eyeballs and so when he goes and he takes earth or dust and he spits into it and places it on him jesus is stepping into genesis 1 the creation story that out of the dust People's being formed. He is creating out of nothing, and it's being formed. This is an illusion. This is pointing back. This whole story, if you want to look into things, it's like this is the sixth miracle. And many think that John, when he was writing on these, he was recreating the origin stories from the beginning in Genesis. But he's doing a creative act, and all of a sudden, life comes. In verse 8, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some, some said he was, and others said, no, he, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. Now some had like, why would it be so hard? Now it could be that because he didn't have eyeballs to have eyes, he would look pretty different. But regardless, they didn't recognize him. And they're trying to say, hey, isn't this the guy? And they're like, no, it's not the guy. And he's, they're really saying, yeah, he's the guy. And he's saying, I'm the guy, I'm the guy. Yeah, it's me. And they asked, well, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and he spurred on my eyes and he told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. And so I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Again, that's his name, the man who had been blind. And takes him to the Pharisees. And these are the people who took the law very seriously. This was a religious sect. They, they were like, there are 613 commands. We know the order of them. We know which one is the most important. We know which one is the least important. We wear our tassels to remind us of the 613 commandments. And we're going to obey every one of them. And because it was the Sabbath... And Jesus had taken saliva and mixed it with mud, and you're not supposed to knead dough. And if you knead dough on the Sabbath, you're breaking the Sabbath, you're breaking the law, you're a lawbreaker, and you're a sinner. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made mud and healed him, that's going to be a big issue. And the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, well, he put mud on my eyes, and then I washed it away. I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God. He's working on the Sabbath. And according to their tradition, he was. According to their tradition, he broke that law. Others said, 
But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been born blind and demanded, again, do you know what his name is? No. He's only seen as the man born blind. What's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, you can see like almost the wheels in his head turning. Now again, this is someone who's been only known as a sinner and man born blind. This is someone who's excluded from the temple. He's excluded from worship. He's excluded from all relevant kind of conversation about religious life and godly life. What's your opinion about him? And he says, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man that had been blind and could see now, so they called in his parents. So he says, again, now this is an interesting story. This has less to do about Jesus and more about this interrogation. They call in his parents, and they, and they ask them, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how does he now see? This is like, this is like a judicial hearing. Here's the three questions we want you to answer. You know, raise your right hand, put your hand on the Torah, on the Tanakh. And his parents replied, we know this is our son. We know that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough Ask him. For the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied. But I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man explained exclaimed, I told you once. Don't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? His language is shifting. Jesus is no longer just a prophet. Why are you asking again? Do you want to be his disciples too? And you can even hear the wheels turning in his head. Who was it that I encountered? Who is this? And this man is saying, I, want, I think I want to be his disciple. I'll follow him. Do you want to be his disciple too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why? That's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has ever been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Boy, do you hear that message to them? Do you think they were like, you know what, thanks for sharing that with us. We really appreciate your story and your experience. Wow, you've... Yeah, you've really had difficult. That's, that's a great, you know, that, we never thought of that. 
You were born a total sinner. (laughs) That is their response to him. They answered, are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's a reference to the Messiah. It's a bigger statement to the Jewish people. When he asked that, he was asking, it was a big deal. The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said. He is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. Let me pause here just for a second here too. So Jesus is revealing who he is to this man. He has revealed it. He cured him of his ability to be able to see, but it was just a cure. See, there's a difference between being cured and being whole. Wholeness brings about restoration. Restoration to community and friendship and of of soul, of mind, of heart, of our physicality. This man was cured. He could see, but was his life still whole after he was healed? You can almost ask the question, was his life better after his encounter with Jesus? And we'd say, well, it's probably pretty good that he could see because the accommodations at that time were not very conducive for someone born blind. And, and all these things that excluded him and this stigma that was on him, you're a sinner. This is a sign that you're a sinner, that wherever you go, whoever sees you can just see you and, and immediately just be like, sinner, there he is. It's like everything is just broadcasted just by looking at them. There's certain things in life that are that way. If you're in a wheelchair, certain parts of you are broadcasted, but not who you are. I think I, I, I have two sons that are black, and when we go places, it's broadcasted, you're adopted. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, there's parts of their story, but is that their story? No. It's a part of it. And it's his story that he's blind? No. It's way bigger. But certain parts were broadcasted, and this was known of him. He was cured, but there was a healing. He was still ostracized, and even after he is healed, after he is cured and seen, his eyes come back, he is still ostracized, excluded, put out, held out, still labeled and marked. You're outside. You're a sinner. You're, you're, you're not in. You're rejected. We know you're born in sin. We know this. And even the person who stepped up to you is in sin as well. But yet, in the end of the story, we see something that moves towards wholeness for him, not in his community, because that is not restored. His community is in trouble. The systems that are in place are not bringing life, they're bringing death. They're not bringing the kingdom of God. They're withholding it from people. It's not only are they not entering, they're also creating doors and obstacles for other people to say, you can't enter either. You're you're, you're rejected. You're on the outside. God isn't pleased with you. They're so concerned with who's at fault. And they're going to point the finger and say, well, you're at fault. You don't have it together. You're at fault. You're at fault. You're at fault. And all that is, is a means to control your environment because they're so afraid. And what are they afraid of? That they don't have, that they're not in control, that they're alone, 
that God doesn't, no one has their back, and that there's not enough. And the majority of us might find ourselves in those same kind of things. But Jesus brings and restores him and invites him into his community, accepts him and welcomes him as his disciple, even when his outside community does not. Jesus embraces him and wants to guide him to wholeness and wants the bigger community to be moved towards wholeness. And the sign of this man being healed was just as much as this man being cured and healed, but it's really longing for this entire community to have true revelation about God. But in the end, they're the ones who are rejecting the message of God and the person of Jesus and everything that he is doing. When we step in into any of our relationships and we begin to want to assign blame, Instead of asking the question of, God, what is the work that you are wanting to do here in this world? What is the good work that you are up to? But when we start and we begin to assign blame, that's when we know that we're not co-participators. We're not co-sufferers with Jesus in this world. Jesus did not come to assign blame, but he came in order to love and to save and to suffer alongside humanity and to invite us into life. But when we step back and we begin to want to blame and to say, who's at fault for this? Who can we blame for this? Whether that's a pandemic, whether that's for a limitation in our life, whether that's for a tsunami or for an earthquake, whatever it is to blame, whether that's the blame for what happened because 9-11, the blame that took place when America was bombed in Hawaii, all these blame factors, we could step in and say, who's at fault for this? Instead of being invited to say, what is the work that God is wanting to bring? We're asking the wrong question. We do not have the capacity to answer that question of blame. We do not have the eyes to see. We don't have the revelation and the wisdom to be able to answer that question. That's not what we've been invited into. We've been invited to join Jesus in the work to say, oh, we've been invited to work today in order to bring life and healing in this world. I heard a story this week that Ever since the moment that I was reminded of it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is that. This story is not this story, but it is this story. And Manya shared it with me, and I, and I talked to her husband, Mark, and asked him, I was like, Mark, and, and this story just happened. I'm like, Mark, are, are you, would you be willing to share? And he was like, I'm not ready yet. He said, but I would, but, um, I would love for you, if, you're willing, if you want to share, you certainly can. And so I, I know there'll be a time when we'll hear from Mark, but I, his story is the story of Jesus. And here's Mark's story, or part of this story. Mark's dad was killed. Um, he was riding his bike, and a person came, was driving, didn't see him, hit him on his bike, and killed him instantly. And so his father was killed in a, in a, a car accident. Did that happen in the summer, Manya? November 6th, like this like past November, just that little bit ago? Wow. So just this fall, Mark's father was killed. And so in that process, when any of those kinds of things happen, you know the question that everybody is asking, what's the first question? Whose fault was it? Who's to blame for this? 
And, and that's when courts get in, and that's, that's a fine question. I mean, that's a question you probably need to ask. And the court got involved, and it was a woman who was driving the car, and they did all the investigation, and they came back to her, and they said, you're not at fault. But I asked this, is she healed? Like, is she, is she okay from that? Is, that? is that all it takes? Is all of a sudden the legal proceedings to say, oh, okay, oh, well, yeah, you got, this guy was riding his bike, you hit the bike, he died. Um, and as the court, we say, you're going to hold no responsibility for this legally, you be, be at peace. Do, is she? Yeah, thank you. And we all know this. This is how trauma works, right? That just because when we go through something, we might have physical things that take, take, happen to us, like an illness, and those things go away. Those things heal. But are we whole? No. There's trauma involved. There's not wholeness. She's still hurting. She wasn't, that, that, that wasn't restoring her. She knew that they killed somebody's dad. And this father was the father of Mark does one. And his sister, Anushka, I said her name right. And the, the, the authorities involved contacted Mark and his sister and said, hey, would, would you be willing to sit down and just talk with her? Because we get the sense that, yeah, she was... The court said it was okay, but she's still not okay. Is she whole? No. Now, Mark and his sister are Jesus people. That should mean something. What it means is you, you were, had this tempt to say, oh, Jesus, we want to look like you. We want the fruit of you in our lives. We want to see how you respond and what you did and what you invited us into. And so when they heard about this, that she wanted to meet, they thought in sense, like, oh, this is our opportunity where we can speak to her. We don't hold you. We don't blame you. Be at peace. But to be able to sit and share the story so that she could be set free, receive healing, and wholeness from the children of the man who died who could sit with her and look at her in the eyes and say, oh, it's well. We're, we mourn our father. He died. It's tragic. Why did he die? We, these things happen. There's no, you can't, there's no answer. Is she at fault? Many could hold on to that. But they knew that that wasn't what they were being invited into. They were being invited to be like Jesus, who was wanting to restore her life. This is, what, this is what Jesus is doing in here, wanting to bring restoration. But there's a whole pocket of people in here who are excluding, withholding, and anchoring themselves in. We know it's dangerous when we begin to answer those kinds of questions looking for blame. But as we go into this world like Jesus, the Jesus who came to serve and lay his life down, who suffered even unto death between 
criminals, and he invited us to lay our lives down for other people, we know to follow that pattern is some sort of co-suffering love where we enter into people's stories that are filled with trauma, heartache, sorrow, all sorts of stuff, longing for the new life of Jesus to be poured upon them and on us. This is the good news that Jesus announced when he came. He announced good news. I don't have a slide for this, but I just want to read it. Because I think it's just so good for us to hear again in Luke 4, when Jesus, this is what he said he came to do. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Another way to say some of these things is that he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To release from darkness for its prisoners. I think in this story we could say, what is the greatest need? This is not to undermine blindness, but as we looked at this story, what is the greatest need? What is the, what is the saddest limitation of this story? Is it the man born blind? Or is it the hearts and the minds of humanity in his society that had labeled him a sinner, that excluded him from society, that didn't welcome him to his table, that already blamed him, ostracized him, and undermined him. What if that world had repented and changed? What if that world came to his senses and created a more humane place for someone with limitations to be able to engage? What if they welcomed them as a son into their tables and, and heard his opinion and welcomed him around conversations and invited him to the table? And What if all of that kind of world would that be? You would say that looks like the kingdom of God, but God longs that prisoners should be set free, good news to the poor, those who are bound in darkness. And the ones who are bound in darkness, this is the final word that Jesus says in this statement, he's saying all these religious people who believe they know everything they're talking about, they're the ones bound in darkness. And judgment has come to them. That's the final word of Jesus. That's 39. And Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment. Because this man had fallen down and worshiped Jesus. Again, for, if you're looking for indications where Jesus is treated as God, it's right here. This man is worshiped. Uh, this man worships Jesus. Worships him, sees something. It's like, okay, this is this is different, and he worships him, like God would be worshipped, like to be only to be worshipped. That's offensive to a lot of people. And Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they're blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? 
If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. They're saying, we see clearly. We render judgment. Jesus is a sinner. This man is a sinner. They're on the out. We're on the in. That is not for us. When we begin to continue to exclude and to proclaim those judgments of things we do not know, it puts us in the wrong position, in the wrong spot, to say, we see, you don't. Jesus said the thing that he saw was that there was a work of God to be done. And that work was to be done in this man and in that crowd for their good and for restoration. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear and to step into that good work. May we be freed from those lies and those accusations and that blame that's been placed upon us that continues to say, you're not in, you're out. May you continue to hear Jesus invite you to say, I am he, the Messiah, and you hear me. Come, and we stop and we worship him with no boundary, with no barrier, with no ifs, ands, or buts, or, or anything, whatever, but the opportunity to say, Jesus, you're, you're ours, you're with us, and all of the uncertainty, and all of our fear that there's not enough, and all the fear that we're not in control, and all the fear that no one has our back, I am here with you, is the call of Jesus. One other thing before we go, we're going to send you, if you, if you subscribe to our texting, we're trying to send out some additional resources. And so I'm sending things in that text thread tomorrow. Um, one of them is called um, Disability Theology. And so it's just an article from a theologian who's disabled, and it's just trying to help people think about this intersection of our faith and disability and some of the things that are harmful that come out in that to, to others. It's called Disability Theology by Deborah Beth Krimer, and I'm going to be sending that article out. Also going to be sending um, a, a Harvard—it's um, about disability bias— that it's an, it takes eight to ten minutes for you to be able to take and just to be able to understand how is it that you see the world and those who might have a limitation? How is it that you see them and treat them? Do you already treat them as inferior or as not as whole or not having it together or something to be fixed immediately? There's a bias that our culture has towards people who have a limitation or a disability. And if you want to learn about that for yourself— there is an assessment that you can take about that bias, and I'm be sending that in that as well. But Harvard put that out, and you can take it. Another person who writes beautifully and pointedly and fiercely um, in this conversation, the book is called My Body is Not a Prayer Request, Disability Justice in the Church. Her name is Dr. Amy Kinney, and she writes profoundly about this and says that most of us are very uncomfortable with disability, and all we're trying to do is get a quick cure. It's like, okay, we can see that you're walking with a limp. Maybe go ahead and, and, and talk to you about this instead of treating as if you're whole and, and you're this, your body is the temple of Jesus and there's more to you than about your limp, your wheelchair, uh, your blind, whatever, whatever your limitation is. Other terms that we probably need to learn and grow in just for our sake is the word ableist. And we put an is to it. It's like being ableist is like uh, in the same way we would hear the word Racist. Right? You know what racist is? It's when you step into a conversation with something that demeans another person or race based on their race, 
in their makeup. But ableist is, is his way of thinking or doing that the world isn't built with people with disabilities in mind. And because of that, the world we live in is inherently, inherently ableist, meaning that it's structured in a way that doesn't have people with limitations in mind. It's set up for people who have no issues with that. And there's no, they're not even thinking. They're not even putting thought into it on, for the majority. Ableism is the discrimination of and social prejudice against people with disabilities based on the belief that typical abilities are superior. And at the heart, ableism is rooted in the assumption that disabled people require fixing and defines people by their disability. And so we can know that maybe these are things that we have to grow in as a church and being mindful of all the places that we would have in here that would say we can make room. The, the reality is that for most of us, when we think about a disability, we think it's uncommon, and it actually it isn't. Disabilities are very common. They're not uncommon. It's like one in four or 20% of people have a disability. Sometimes you can see them, sometimes you can't. And the reality is, if you live long enough, more than likely you're going to enter into that realm of limitation where you have a disability. And wouldn't you want to live in a society that engaged in disabilities in a way of bringing honor and empathy and care and healing for people so that the issue isn't how do we fix the thing going on with them, but how could we structure society in such a way where it's actually not an issue for them? Because the greatest limiter in some disabilities is the ability to be with people and to engage in society, to be able to be present and to feel like an equal at the table and have a say and to participate fully. And so instead of just trying to get the quick fix, what if we actually tried to change our environments where we actually took away the biggest issues when it comes to some limitations, which is not about them, but it's all about society and the way society sees them. That seems like harder work, doesn't it? It seems like work that Jesus would say, well, that's good. That's what family looks like. And that's what I came to do. There's nothing inherently wrong with a person who experiences disability. For somebody here who might be doing that, can we just say that again? There is nothing inherently wrong with someone who experiences disability. And if you've been told that, we are so sorry. If you've been undermined in that way, shame on the voice and the culture that spoke that out loud. May we repent of that. A commitment to justice for people with disabilities and a fundamental conviction that theology and disability have something significant to say to each other is what we want to do. And we also want to observe that experiences of impairment whether it be physical, intellectual, psychological, and social, they are significant and relatively unsurprising element of human life that many of us will experience. And these types of things are worthy of theological reflection. So we can grow in our ability to think and talk and engage in these conversations. It's going to take some learning 
May we feel Jesus and each other drawing us into these conversations where we could hold people up and see the healing that comes as we're all restored into right relationships with God and one another. Let me... Bonnie, uh, Bonnie is going to come and send us an, an affirmation. She has this affirmation of faith that she's going to lead us into that we're going to join in with her, and then she's going to send us um, with a blessing with that. I encourage you, um, if this topic stirs you, make sure that you get the text uh, tomorrow, and we'll put some resources in there where you can grow and learn. Again, there are people who are having these conversations, but you can imagine they are not the mainstream people. You know, this is, this is not a conversation that our culture and our context holds up as an important conversation. And so it takes advocates for people who are stepping into this. But what I love about Jesus is he's an advocate. This is our God. And so may we be able to receive and hear and move today in the likeness of Jesus. So Bonnie, would you send us? I also want to invite, before I read this, um, after the service, there will be some elders up here. If you would like prayer for anything, um, we would be happy and delightful, delighted to pray with you. Okay. Uh, join with me on the part in bold. We believe in a merciful God, a God who does not keep score, a God who wants good for us. We believe in a creative God, a God who would heal with mud, a God capable of seeing what we cannot. We believe in a saving God, a God who heals, a God who greets our questions with patience, a God who sends us out with hope in our step. What a wondrous love this is. Amen. As you leave this place, May God bless you with seeking. Seek out the hungry, seek the weary, seek the good in every person you pass. Seek out the hopeful, seek the faithful, seek God in each of us. As you seek and as you wonder, may you find what you are looking for. In the name of our loving God, who is always seeking us, go now in peace. Amen.